Hello everyone and welcome to the Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer, joined in studio by Jeff Rupberg, Ryan Strauss, Jeffrey Cohen, and this week we're joined with our friend Sean Kennedy. Back in studio with you on 610 AM Sports ESPN Radio. Guys, March Madness continues to roll on with exciting games left and right. Ratings are up big time. The Sixers just keep being the Sixers. We'll talk about that. Baseball season's weeks away, and Jeff's got an idea about a sports league he'll tell us about later in the show. We've got so much to talk about, so I won't waste any time. Jeff Rutberg, how excited are you to talk sports today? I'm uh, very excited. The Sixers have won 26 games this year. I'd like to see them win 30. I think that would be very respectable. And you say that I'm the optimistic one on the show. Yeah, well, they've reached all my goals so far, and you've you've knocked me down every time. 19, and they accomplished that, and 25, they I accomplished that. I really don't care about their wins and losses this season. <laughs> I care about who's on the team going forward, and we've right, been through course. that. And, and Embiid needs surgery, so... Yeah, oh, well, yeah the, by the way, can we just say... a Day-to-day injury became now surgery for an ACL. I I really, um, weather person and Sixers doctor are starting to kind of become together where you can seem to be right or wrong. Then again, some people would say that about politics that I work in, so take your pick. Uh, Ryan Strauss, what's going on this week? USA is the champions of the World Baseball Classic, for what it's worth. So wait, you started with that instead of the Michigan loss yesterday. Yeah. Because, you know, that's a good thing versus a bad thing. Well, yes, it is a good thing. All depending on perspective, obviously. But I don't think it surprised anyone too much to know that the U.S. is champions at baseball. But I I was pretty surprised, actually. I did not think we were going to beat Japan to start. I didn't think we were going to beat Puerto Rico. Uh, I I was pretty impressed. We'll talk about it more in the second segment. Jeffrey Cohen, what's going on? Uh, I'm a little... uh I'm a little surprised myself with regard to the USA. Uh, they don't even have the best players from the USA playing most of the time. Well, that's a complaint that Sean Kennedy has when he joins us. He'll make sure to, to drop that in. Uh, it was impressive to see what the players did, and I enjoyed the atmosphere of the games. Ratings were up for that as well. We'll talk about that a little more in the second segment, uh, what people think about it going forward, what's going to happen. But Team USA did win. Again, I will throw it to you. Um, what happened to Michigan? Uh, I'm sorry, I just have to ask. We've had so much of the Rutgers talk, and it doesn't make Rutgers an any better team. Let me just point that out, okay? This is just a bitter Rutgers fan asking you how it feels. The heart is broken, and they missed the three-pointer at the buzzer, but uh, this team had an amazing season. They did have a good season. I I just want you to know I was rooting for Michigan. Oh, I believe that for a second. See, that was the problem, Jeff. You you were there. Uh, All right, Who, who, who believes that Jeff was rooting for Michigan? I do. He told me in advance, actually, that he was rooting for Michigan. But he also, like said he, was, he also said he was rooting for Wisconsin, and in the past he said he was rooting for the Giants. So everybody can just pile on now of what they think of Jeff's sports rooting. Yeah, so, Jeff, Jeff, who are you rooting for in the Final Four so I know who not to pick in my, in my updated bracket? <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, uh, I like <laughs> Gonzaga. I think they've uh, they got a good team. So kiss of death. Cross them off. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So I mean, the tournament's definitely been exciting. You got last minute games coming down to the wire. You've got upsets, but not as many upsets as in past years. Anybody surprised by what they've seen so far? Xavier. Xavier surprised you beating Arizona. Yes. So we're taping Arizona looked like they were going to be the the cream of that crop. We're taping this show on a Friday, of course. So that was last night for us where Arizona lost laid out in San Jose. I was surprised that Xavier won the game. I was surprised by how big Kansas won. Uh, They've looked very good. They they kept it close in the first half, but second half kind of got blown away. How about their coach, Larry Brown, our old (laughs) friend here? Well, he's not at Kansas anymore. He used to be there. You got Bill Self there. He's a great coach. He's a very good coach. But let's go back to the first weekend for a second. Um, Did anybody watch the South Carolina-Duke game? 
Yes. Because that, that was interesting to me. It was moved from North Carolina because of all the political things going on there, and they put the game in Greenville. And so it was 100 miles from campus, and you had the lower seed with the insane local crowd that was yeah. almost a home game. I think it impacted what happened. Sean Kennedy, did you watch that game? Were you watching the tournament? Yeah, of course. And don't forget, not only was it in South Carolina, but you had all the UNC fans that stuck around, none of whom were rooting for Duke. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, the North Carolina fans were not rooting for Duke. Actually, South Carolina did more than just beat Duke. They cost somebody $1 million. Did you guys see that? That's yes. a shame. No. So, so Warren Buffett offered to his employees, anybody who could pick a perfect bracket in the first round, get all 32 teams right, he would give them a million dollars. 96,000 employees entered. One guy got 31 out of 32 games, and he lost on South Carolina. So he lost out on a million dollars. He ended I, up winning like $100,000. I would have bet you a million dollars that it would have been Xavier that would have lost, not Duke. That you would have lost right. out on a million dollars as well then. I, I felt bad for him. He's a truck driver. So, okay, Nova's out. A uh, lot of star power out at Madison Square Garden for the games tonight. Uh, you have the one and two seat out there got South Carolina playing. What do you guys, what else surprised you from early on in the tournament? Nothing. I think one of the reasons that that this tournament has been watched so much is because there have been less of these upsets. So you have a lot of the large alumni schools, uh, a lot of the teams that are used to being there like Kentucky and North Carolina. And I think that people like having the underdogs in there. But ultimately, what you want when you get to the final 16 and the Elite Eight is those big schools having big clashes. A note locally, I think the Atlantic 10 has done a good job of over uh, overperforming, I mean, not just this year, but in recent years. Like, nice job by Xavier. Rhode Island put up a really good showing in past years. St. Louis and um, Davidson have put up good showings. Now they're in the A-10. I think it's good for the local big five teams in there. It should help with, with your league and competitiveness. I'd prefer to see Temple playing well, but, I mean, we can't have everything we want. So, um, Jeffrey, I know that you are excited that UCLA is still in the tournament, not because you want to see Lonzo ball, but because you want his father to keep talking. There's nothing I want to hear more than, than Lonzo's father just keep running off at the mouth about how great his kids are, how he's getting a billion-dollar contract. All he's doing is putting pressure on the team and pressure on his kid, and he's accomplishing absolutely nothing by running his mouth. So let's talk Lonzo for a second. UCLA looked good. And, they did and look Lonzo good. is a good player, very unselfish. His dad may be loud and brash, but the son plays with a calm and and it distributes the ball in a way that you don't often see in superstars. Yeah, and he's going to end up on the Lakers. And so what <laughs> What did the father of Lonzo Ball do this week that bothered you, Jeff? Well, this week he decided that he was going to attack LeBron James' parenting style and say how his own kids are, are much better prepared for life than LeBron's kids are, at which point LeBron <laughs> said that he should keep LeBron's kids' names out of his mouth. So... I don't know what the point is of of angering the biggest star in the game. I probably would not have made that move. I, I, again, the focus on parents, I hate the focus on parents. I, I can't stand helicopter parents. I, 
Really? Are you going to be a helicopter parent? God, I hope not. If I do, we've got Sean in studio. He, I think he would make sure that that didn't happen. I really don't want to be one, and I, I don't want to live my failed dreams out through my child. I, I recognize, do it on the radio. I recognize that I was not blessed with height, speed, or anything else that would qualify me to play a sport. Curling. But, what about curling? I, I probably Golf. would slip on the ice Bowling. and fall. But well, listen, I, listen. <laughs> the, 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 here's the thing. When your kid plays, you can't help but jumping up and down when they score or do something well and when they do something there's a difference between you you stand up and you start yelling what was that what'd you do there but there are lessons to teach when the things go wrong to learn from them and i want to be that kind of parent not the kind of parent that jeff's dealt with as a coach and sean's dealt with with. okay so why don't we talk about that for a second what did what have you seen from the good and the bad i mean you see you see parents who are supportive to their kids and 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 who most important teach their kids that it's about especially in team sports that it's about the team because in life life is about working with groups of other people it's not always about you the problem is is that the parents who teach their kids that it's about them and keep their statistics when they're seven years old and want to know what their batting averages are and want to know how many goals they've scored it's not about that team and it's disappointing when you hear that and i don't know if anybody saw this week but gino oriama had had a press conference and it was two and a half minutes that every single parent in America who has a kid that's in sports should listen to. Well, there's no bigger Gino Oriama fan than I am, and I know we'll get into that in a second, but, but along the lines of cheering for your kids and travel sports, we talked about travel baseball before we opened here. Mike Matheny, manager of the Cardinals, wrote a what he called the Matheny Principle. He wrote a book, but he wrote the Matheny Principle where he basically told parents the way it was going to be if he were to coach their kids. And study after study shows that what kids want while they're playing is for their parents to say nothing, not cheer, not say a thing. Listen to successful people, right? Mike Golick, okay? Radio show almost as popular as this one. Mike Golick talks all the time about when he goes to watch his kids, all of whom were successful, right? Played football at the highest level. Daughter was a swimmer at the highest level. He doesn't sit near anyone. He doesn't yell at the kids. He doesn't want to listen to the other parents. Parents need to go and support their kids and not involve themselves in what their kids are doing. And, and, and to, to the point about Gino, everybody needs to watch this. Um, he talks about how kids today are so wrapped up in themselves as opposed to being part of the team. And, you know, Jason knows that I'm the biggest UConn fan there is. In fact, I'm going to the game tomorrow at Bridgeport. I just want to point something out. People say all the time, well, UConn has all the best players. They have all the best players. You know, Gino doesn't need to do anything. He's got the best players. Let me me just point out a couple facts, okay, just so everybody's, everybody's clear. The senior class this year, okay, the senior class across the board, women's college basketball, the 2013 ESPN recruiting rankings, just like, you know, everybody has their recruiting rankings. UConn was unranked in 2013. They were fourth in 2014. They were fifth in 2015. And they were 14th in 2016. They don't have all of the best players. They create the best team. And, and I think that makes the point that sort of was introduced here. Uh, the culture that Gino Oriam instills allows that program to be the best. It, it's not that he has the best players. The, the, the comment that he made about body language, about how he, during games and when he watches tape, he's watching the body language of all of his players. 
And that if they don't look like they're into the game, that they're supporting their teammates, no matter how many minutes they've played, that he tells those kids, that's it. If I see your body language is not team-oriented and that you're not trying your hardest, you will sit. It doesn't matter how high a rank you, you when you were drafted or when you were and, and, Jeff, let me just touch on that real quick. And I, and I know most of your listeners aren't necessarily riveted by women's college basketball, but let's make the bigger point here because I think that's the model for what team sports should be. Uh, my sons and I went to the uh, Women's National Championship last year, and UConn beat Syracuse for their fourth consecutive title, the first time it's ever happened. And uh, Brianna Stewart, who I contend is the greatest women's college basketball player ever, was, was out of the game. They were all celebrating. And the literally 12th person on the roster, uh, Brianna Polito, who was a, who was a pre-med student, walk-on, was in the game, game's over, team celebrating, legacy, dynasty, and she hits a shot with about you know, 20 seconds left. And there's a picture, which you guys can see, and it's readily available on the internet, of you know, Morgan Tuck and, and, and Mariah Jefferson and Brianna Stewart, literally the top three players taken in the WNBA draft. And they're, they're, they're so excited. They're literally going crazy because they're so happy for this person who worked that hard. And I think that makes the case more than anything else about what you said. It's about body language. It's about being part of the team. It's not about me. So look, they don't have all of the best players. That's a fact. You guys can look at the same recruiting rankings I do. They have the best team, they have the best culture, and they buy into it year after year. I just want you to know that uh, I do like uh, UConn, but I'm, I, I like to root for the underdogs. <laughs> and in this case, I'm rooting for the underdogs to at least score 50 or 60 points, <laughs> even if they lose. I find the parenting conversation part of this interesting, because I'm, I'm learning as a parent, and and so I'm fascinated when they they make the parents celebrities during the game, when they turn the camera on the agony of the parents while their child is there playing in a game. And I mean, go, going back to Lonzo, you wonder what the impact will be on the pro team that takes him. Will it turn into a Lindros situation where the parent impacts the, the son, but also the professional team? It's really going to depend on where he goes. If he, go, if he goes to some place like San Antonio that has the kind of structure that they have, he'll be fine. If he goes to another team, possibly you, like the Sixers, think he'll the Sixers? That, that have no control over anything that's going on, uh, it could be a real problem. Cause, because what ends up happening is they control it. Then it becomes their team as opposed to uh, the, the team, the real the word, the team. You talk about the parenting, and I think particularly with superstars, you see it more, like the parent involvement. I mean, we saw it with Allen Iverson, and these kids that are growing up, they have so much attention and pressure on them that I think inevitably now, especially with uh, the media spotlight today, you'll see more and more parents coming to the spotlight potentially. Well, it's interesting you talk about the spotlight. I mentioned earlier the ratings on this tournament. They're up huge. Uh, through last, Through the first Sunday, they were at a 24-year high. Uh, on Sunday alone of last week, 11.9 million viewers watched. That's up 34% over 2016. See, that just doesn't make sense to me because we know the amount of hype that exists right now. That's been there for the last five years where I, you could stream all the games at work. You know, I, I actually think it's the matchups more than the, the ability to watch them. I think that uh, although people like an upset foreign underdog, they're less inclined to go watch the underdog again. They're, they're less excited to see them. They want to see the Duke or the Michigan play in that game. And, and when they are, they will make sure to watch it. They won't miss it. Jeff said this perfectly, not that Jason didn't just reiterate it, but 
the average casual fan that March Madness attracts gets all excited in the beginning. They watch the first two games on Thursday and Friday. They want to see the upset. Look, every one of us can't wait to watch two of the greatest Blue Bloods play tonight, Kentucky and UCLA. If it was Kentucky against, no offense, I won't pick a mid-major. Nobody would care. Kentucky and UCLA tonight is what makes this tournament great. And it's interesting, that, you know, we mentioned South Carolina Duke. The ratings only got better for that. That game actually had 18.6 million viewers. That's the highest rated game in that time slot since 1991. And you wonder why they protect their trademark, huh? Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, we've talked plenty about that. I mean, but you look, it's not even just TV. They're digital platforms, nearly 70 million streams, up 24% from the year before. Notre Dame and Princeton. Notre Dame, again, big name school. Drew 5.4 million digital viewers. It's, it is the names, I think, of the teams that are drawing people as opposed to in past years you've seen more upsets leading to an 11 or 12 seed playing in that second or third game as opposed to a 1, 2, or 3 seed. That, that's my opinion on what it is. I have found the tournament to be exciting so far. I have not done it before, but I've seen a lot of advertising this year for like a second weekend bracket. When your first weekend bracket gets busted, you well, can that, now. That's have why a we have to chance. get the picks from Jeff, so we know who not to choose. <laughs> no, that's right. right. All right, yeah. well, Jeff, who are you picking before we end the segment so we know who not to take? Oh, uh, I like Xavier. Xavier, you and, like Wisconsin and, and too, like right? Wisconsin. Okay, yeah. so stay away from them. And, and I like <laughs> who you like tonight. You can't South, South, a bracket South Carolina. Halfway through. Who? who? He said you can't refill. It's not a refill. Um, they actually go from the round of. 16 or I understand what they're down. doing, but it's it's I people want to have fun. It's okay. great. It's great marketing is what it is That's it's all it gambling. is. South Carolina, right? So, so you got South Carolina. South yeah. Carolina's playing at MSG tonight. We'll see what they do I, I don't hope they didn't get the Rutberg jinx right now uh, hope, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you take us to break? Jeff? All right. Yeah, you oh, well, I just one other thing oh, though. Okay. Think about all that untaxed um, money that's being bet uh, I think eventually it's gonna be you have to watch it at work well, and you have to bet on it. You know, the, the, the revenues in terms of gaming are enormous. I mean, look at the person who almost won a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Still won $100,000, right? Still did okay. Yeah. He doesn't want anybody to know. No, <laughs> yeah. especially, especially the IRS. Go ahead, Jeff. All right. You're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 AM. It's time for us to head to a break. When we return, we'll be talking about spring training and the World Baseball uh, Classic. Stay right here. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Broadcast media is all around you, and it's the people with media skills who work in this amazing industry. How do you gain those skills? The Philadelphia area campus of Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Affordable training in months, not years, without decades of debt. 1-800-TV-RADIO or GoCSB.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? 
All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. And we're back. This is the Heart of Sports on 610 AM. I'm Jeff Ruckberg, along with Jason Springer, Ryan Strauss, Jeffrey Cohen, and Sean Kennedy. So World Baseball Classic is now over. Team USA has won. Pretty exciting tournament. I'm going to throw it around the table and ask if you guys have watched, but I'm not going to throw it to Sean Kennedy because I know he didn't, and he's just going to get snarky about it. So, Ryan, did you watch the World Baseball Classic, and what were your thoughts? I did. I watched most of the tournament, and I just loved the whole thing. I think, um, like I said before the tournament, you got to learn so much about the styles of baseball with the Japanese um, more doing a small ball and just the amount of um, fundamentals and uh, the passion of the fans. You really got to see it so much across the whole tournament. And the Final Four was also some great games in the semifinal with the Marcus Stroman having a great game in the final, and the U.S. is world champions. Jeffrey, what were your thoughts coming out of it? I know that you watched some of it. Uh, the Adam Jones catch in the semifinals out in center field was spectacular. Off his own teammate. Off his own teammate. That was incredible. Some really good baseball being played, fun atmosphere. I, I, th- I thought it was very good baseball, especially when you think about the fact that, at, le- at least for the major leagues, this is early, middle spring training. So these guys aren't in in full shape. These guys haven't had a chance to get all the reps yet. So you're not seeing the best baseball that they could. I don't know what the answer to that is. That's Joe Girardi's complaint. His suggestion is to play the qualifying games early on and then play the semifinals and finals during the All-Star break around the All-Star game. They would have the All-Star game, and then they would have the semifinals and finals of the World Baseball Classic. Get get rid of the All-Star game and put it right there. Well, it doesn't count anymore because the games don't. uh, The World Series won't matter on that rule change. Should have never counted. <laughs> I, I watched it, and uh, not uh, not everything. I was surprised that the USA beat Japan, um, but and and really slaughtered Puerto Rico. But our best player, Major League Baseball's best players, were spread out all over the world, so it really uh, d- diluted the uh, the U.S. team. My my concern is that it's not the best players that are even in the World Baseball Classic. That's not, right. Yeah, you are not seeing the best pitchers for the U.S. In that game, Marcus Stroman had an amazing tournament. But other than that, you're not getting the studs of the major leagues playing in this. Who who does Stroman play for? Toronto, the Blue Jays. Okay, thanks. So I think when it comes to like the a lot of the talk has been that the U.S. doesn't have the strongest possible team. And I agree with the pitchers definitely. I mean, you have Kershaw, David Price, Scherzer, and Chris Sale, who are probably the top four American pitchers. None of them are on the team. But when you look at the lineup. Most of the lineup is actually the top American t- players. The only ones I would argue are missing are Trout, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Chris well, that's Bryant. Two big ones. I mean, those are the three, arguably the three biggest ones. But and after that, like Nolan Arenado led the league in home runs and RBIs last two years. He's a third baseman still. 
I mean, you still have all-star players at every position. It's almost the best possible American lineup, minus the top few position players. And and we'll bring Sean to the mic, though I know it will come with snark, because I had posted about us talking about the World Baseball Classic on Facebook, and it turned into comments back and forth between previous guests on our show, Ryan and Sean and Ryan Holmes, uh, Bill Holmes Holmes. talking about uh, who watches, when they watch. Sean, you are not a fan of the World Baseball Classic. Give us your point of view. Ryan said that we were only missing a few. <laughs> Mike Trout and Bryce Harper are about as big as it gets. So, so I think and previously you, you said we didn't know where they were. They were all spread out. I was going to say the best player was in, probably in Millville. Um, <laughs> the, the best thing that came out of this thing, f- f- from my standpoint, is somebody who didn't get interested. And I, and I love baseball. I, I really do. I, I love in fact, you know, I know we'll get into the Phillies in a minute, and I'll tell you a story. But um, the best thing that came out of this was – that I heard that Trout did say he was interested in playing next time. So a lot of times with these things, the evolution is to continue to get people more and more excited, not just the fans, but the players themselves. And I think that's a great that's a great sign. Yeah, I mean, Nolan Arenado is a great player, but he's not who pe- – you're not buying a ticket to see him. You are buying a ticket to see Mike Trout. You're buying a ticket to see Bryce Harper. There's, there's a handful of players in Major League Baseball – that you will pay just to see those guys, and they have to make sure that those guys get in there. It's not like the work they're doing is laborious. I mean, look, even for catcher, last night in the final, Buster Posey was not the catcher. That shocked me. I was stunned yeah, by Jonathan that. Jonathan Lucroy is like the second-ranked <laughs> fantasy catcher in a lot of rankings. I mean, you still have almost the top players. You said a, you said a dirty word for Jeff Rupper. I know. He said fantasy. He doesn't like hearing yeah, I mean, about he's fantasy good sports. statistically puts up numbers. But he's, he's a massive. But uh, Jeff Cohen, <laughs> <laughs> Je- Jeff Rupper's head might explode if we talk about assets already on the show. But you talk about people paying to see the game. Uh, they did draw over a million fans in attendance, up 23% over the last time they had it. They had 51,000 fans at the final at Dodger Stadium, the second highest game attendance in history. So it does seem like the World Baseball Classic generated more excitement this year. I will ask a question, though, and maybe it's just because I'm a new parent and I can barely stay awake until 7 <laughs> o'clock at this point. Could they start these games any later? Well, I mean, oh, the thing is they were in San Diego. I don't care. It's you're in not California. Gonna build a, you're not going to build a fan base starting games at 9 and 10 o'clock. That game was called for 9 o'clock and the first pitch went at 921. What kid is staying up until 1 o'clock in the morning to watch Team USA? You're missing an opportunity. Frankly, what adult is staying up if it's not their team They're to go- watch that final? You have to well, be really dedicated to do that. I agree, but I think in general, uh, this particular version of the event, because it didn't have a TV contract with ESPN, there wasn't as much marketing for it. Um, the previous tournaments did have that contract, by the way. And for whatever reasons, um, they weren't as popular in the past. This rendition had really competitive baseball. It was great. And I think it proved that the event is here to stay. When they first announced it, and they had 2006. They did a three-year break to 2009, then 2013. They had it again this time. They said they're going to have it again in 2021. You'll have more of the All-Stars involved. And I think it just shows the permanence of the tournament. I agree they could start the games a little earlier, though. I think it's a better product than the Olympics were. I, I think uh, more people watched. Well, you had major leaguers playing ball and, and quality major leaguers and quality minor leaguers on these teams. So you really got an opportunity to see. I mean, it was, frankly, I haven't gone to many minor league games. First time I've been able to see Jorge Alfaro play. 
was in the yeah, World Baseball yeah. Classic, and I saw him at a home run, and I was like, wow, I've heard about him for so many years, but I haven't actually been able to see him play. So that was fun for me to see some of those things. I loved watching Team Japan. I thought uh, some of their best players could definitely be major leaguers, and if uh, Damn Simbrowski uh, posted some translations of their statistics, and some of these players, uh, the third baseman, Matsuda, the second baseman, Kikuchi, I mean, these guys would be major league players, and I, this, the... I know Jeff doesn't like this, but the statistical translations through the mathematical wizards would say that they would actually perform well in the major leagues, and the eyeball tests prove that. I mean, they almost beat Team USA in a really close game. You mean the analytics? <laughs> the analytics. I like the atmosphere of their fans. I, I just really enjoyed the atmosphere of the fans. And, and, and since, you know, Jeff, you're such a big fan of assets, <laughs> and, and Alfaro just got brought up, the, the baseball season's about to kick off. I think the World Baseball Classic got people a little bit excited even during a time when March Madness basically controls everything. But now you have, you're, you're into spring training and you have minor leagues and the Phillies, their excitement is going to be a triple A and double A this year. I oh, agree with I you. I think so. I just want to remind you guys that baseball used to be played during the day. <laughs> and when I was a kid, the World Series was on during the day. And they said that uh, when, when it went to night, nighttime that they were going to lose an audience well well, well here's the, here's the baffling part about that is people constantly complain that baseball's demographic is getting older yes well, we go to bed earlier so it doesn't make any sense <laughs> <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I, it just didn't make sense to me i i agree with you about the contract um it just makes no sense to me when you start games i mean you really had to be dedicated these games were either on at four o'clock in the morning or nine ten o'clock at night that requires a Yeah, but when you're hosting a game in Japan or Korea, I don't think their first thought is, what are we going to do to maximize the TV ratings in the United States well, on no, those that, games? That, but that's fine for, for that, that area, sure. for that seating. That's fine that Japan's game should be played on their time zone. Right. For the U.S., to have their games starting at 10 o'clock at night. It's ridiculous. It, you're going it's 7 o'clock local time. It doesn't matter that it's a 7 o'clock local time. This it's, happens it's for it, sports games all the time. But if your goal is to build a brand here, you're stepping on a very large potential part of your audience because of where you are locating that game. I'm so not maybe disagreeing. The problem I just is, don't think the marketing and the media hype was there for this particular rendition of the event. They didn't put the pressure to have it at the right times. Yeah, I just think it's a missed opportunity. I would like to watch it, and I had a hard time staying awake sometimes to watch the ends of those games. They were exciting. They were intense. Right. They, they were what you want to see as a fan that you don't always get to see, and yet I'm sitting there going through yawns. So when you we talk from a competitive standpoint, you talked about how most of the games were so close and intense, and through uh, for me, through watching the Sixers lose for the last few years, it's really shown how how hard it is just to win each individual game, and we overlook that sometimes as fans. And I think that happens in baseball too. Day to day, we go to the you can go to the park and turn on the game and just watch it casually, but really, like each game has a lot of intensity and little things that happen in a baseball game, and uh, that tournament kind of showed for me all the little things that you have to do to win and. Um, the emotion that goes into it and the strategy. I think watching the Sixers games make us all have second thoughts about things, but we're going we're gonna to talk about spring training. Jeff, you have one more comment? One on? more comment about that uh, regarding the timing. Um, I remember a number of years ago that the um, America's Cup, the yachting race coming from New Zealand, was brought live at uh, like 4 in the morning. There did you wake of, up? I did. I did. I was happened to be working on the, the night shift. I'd have gotten seasick watching it. But I, I watched it <laughs> on my days off. 
And I did. I loved it. I loved remember, it. Do you remember how the, slow it was? But I loved it. The 2002 World Cup. Did you end up? Uh, yeah, it was waking like, up at like 5 a.m. for I'm those like games. I'm like 5 a.m. and I'm and I'm a lunatic and I woke up and watched it, of course. But I'm not the casual fan that they're trying to bring in. I'm the sucker that that now they have a combine for, and we watch people run around in shorts. So I'm not the guy. But let's get back to spring training. We're a couple of days away from everybody coming north. Getting excited. Jeffrey, you are our minor league guy. You'll be going to lots of games with your son. Why don't you tell us what's exciting you this spring? What are you saying? Well, they're paring down the roster. They're down to, I think, their last 30, 35 players. So they got to get down to the 25-man roster. But they've started to move people down into the minor league camps. Which, by the way, if anybody ever goes to spring training, hit those backfields because that's where it's fun to watch those guys, watch the young guys play. Um, Alfaro is going to be a stud. Um, I think uh, Cousins and uh, that whole outfield in Lehigh Valley is going to be Quinn. It's going to be Cousins. It's going to be Nick Williams. I don't know if you're going to be able to get a ticket to go see them. They sell out almost every game anyway. But the sad part is Tyler Goodell just found out yesterday that after being stuck on the major league roster, sitting at the end of the bench, not playing all year so they could stash him, they're moving him to double A. Oh, so he's, he's not yeah. even making the triple no, A. No, because well, because you have the, you have your three outfielders set, so he's got to move down to double A now, and he apparently is not happy. So, what has surprised you so far this spring? Uh, Brock Stassi still continues to hit the cover he, off the ball. Well, he's kind of he's calmed down a little bit. He's down to like three ten, three eleven at this point, but he's still leading the team in home runs and RBIs. I think he'll make the roster. But the surprising thing about the spring is that not much is surprising. It, by adding Kendrick and, and adding a couple uh, of senior players, you're really just keeping they, – they had their top eight pretty much set before they came into camp, and nothing has changed. Same uh, thing with their pitching. So I think Daniel Nava uh, proved himself in spring. Uh, same with Chris Coglin, Even though Coglin was on some of those Cubs teams and had put up a really strong on-base percentage in those years, I think they'll both make the team. Also, Andrew Knapp came out of nowhere in my eyes. I hadn't known much about him. But it's good that, you know, a lot of these bench players have versatility. That's what they talk about. And I think it'll really help in that game-to-game situation. I'm surprised. They, they were talking about putting Andrew Knapp on uh, first base along with Tommy Joseph. As a backup. As a backup. And then having Alfaro make the team so that they actually have, like, Three catchers. No, they're gonna. Alfaro still needs seasoning. He's gonna. Does, he's gonna go down to AAA. He'll be the everyday catcher, and he'll be working with that group of pitchers. I think you just want to see Alfaro play when you go to games. I think it was pure self-interest on your part. <laughs> no, but so here's, here's but, my question to you guys. So a serious question, yeah. and I, I can't believe I'm asking this. Well, who's gonna win more, the major league team or the minor league the team? Minor this league season? team, unless they all come up. Right, right. <laughs> but I mean, I, but but Ryan, the one thing about I don't know how Nava and Coughlin can both make it. Because they already have four outfielders set, Al Thayer is going to make the who? team as the fourth outfielder. So then you got you're not going to have who's? six. Wait, what? Aaron, Aaron Althair. Oh, I don't think Althair is going to make the team. Okay. Oh, I do. He's he's the best defensive outfielder they have. Who Althair? Yeah, Althair. 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 Yeah. So we're we're cutting down the roster. Teams are going to come north again. I will ask you. This team is, as I say, the most honest with the fans in the city saying that they do not believe that they are going to be competitive this year. Uh, do you believe that they break 500 this season, and what do you count as a successful season? 82 and 80. That's your – that's y- yeah. And is that a success for you? Because I think that's yes. high. <laughs> oh, no, no. no, no I, I'm with I, Jeff. I expect that. 
You, yeah. you, you think 82 can I, I, I think they might do better than that, but I think success is going to be for their pitcher, their young pitchers to develop and stay healthy. We, we can't have Velasquez and Nola spending a half season on the, on the DL again, and you need to have the guys that are in the minor leagues come up towards the middle of the end of the season and show promise towards the next two seasons. Uh, so, you know, I, I personally think that uh, given how poor the offense was last year, it'll be hard for the team to get to 500. And, <clears throat> you know, the versatility that they have helps and the veteran additions – um, you know, they're helpful as well, but really this team, you know, they won a lot of one run games last year in the beginning of the season, uh, their Pythagorean record, which I know. Yeah. I don't know, could you explain that? What yeah. Is that? So it's their given the amount of runs they scored and allowed, it would be their projected record based off of a formula that projects that. And given what they scored and allowed, they should have only won, um, less games than they did 63, Six, 63. And they won 71. It's because in the beginning of the year, they won a whole bunch of one-run games. So that 71 win total from last year is arguably a bit of a, a mirage. They should have been worse than they were. So to get to 80 wins will be a step. They did add some veteran additions that will help a lot, though. Like Nishak in the WBC showed. And, Son- and Benoit. you got Saunders and, uh, and you got yep. Kendrick. I think that those veterans are going to provide them with some leadership and some, some additional runs. Definitely. Um, I... I- their job, though, is to win, and if they have some good players down in the minors that are doing well, they, then I, I would hope that they would bring them up and let them uh-huh. su- succeed, especially if, you know, the like like last year, Tyler Goodell, they had to keep him on the uh, roster the whole time. He was, ter- he was terrible. I'm, and the fans were knew that he was terrible, but they couldn't send him down. I'm not as enthusiastic about what I think their record is going to be as you guys. I, I think 80 wins. I mean, I know that's shocking that I... I think it's going to be less than you guys do. I, I seem to always pick less. Maybe I'm just not the downer on the show. But I think actually what will happen is you'll see the younger players come up when they trade some of the players that are on one-year contracts that are the veterans that have been brought in, that Jeff would hate the word assets, that then you acquire more people and you bring your younger talent up after more time in the minor leagues for seasoning. I think that's how the season's going to play out or, for us as Or fans. you trade half the system for Mike Trout. Well, that was Sean. Sean here would be done. He would go and sit at every game to watch that happen. But but look, look, look the over under right now in the Phillies is seventy three. So I, I appreciate the enthusiasm of you guys. But let let's be honest, and, and let me just make this point real quick about Trout. They need somebody. Look, here, here are my Phillies bona fides, and and I'm not sure there's too many people out there listening who can match this. I was at Game Six in 1980, and I was at Game Five in 2008. So I've been there both times. There's no one on this team that I'm excited about. Like, if I were a kid, what am I excited about? I grew up watching Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton, Bob Boone, yeah, me too. Fate McBride, right. Gary Maddox, sure. Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Dick Ruthven, Tug McGraw, Manny Trio, and go on and on. Who, who, who are you excited about? Not yet. They're, oh, it's, they're not give it time. time. You weren't excited time. about them when they were winning either. But there's nothing exciting about this team. Over under 73. Fifteen thousand dollars, fifteen literally fifteen thousand dollars on a hundred bet, on a hundred dollar bet for the Phillies to win the World Series. It's there, there's nothing exciting about this team. So I agree. I'm glad that we have replenished uh, the farm the farm system, but let's use that. I'm so tired of prospect. Real, real trying, quick, real right. quick. Assets. They destroyed Dominic Brown. Dominic Brown was the number one rated prospect in all of baseball. They could have gotten anything for they wanted. Years. They could have gotten anything they wanted for him. Not only did they not utilize that asset, they ruined him as a player. 
I mean, so I, I, I just don't share the same enthusiasm. Well, he ruined himself. Well, I think that's the argument against bringing up some of these young players so soon. You don't want to ruin them. And it is a little disappointing that when you look at the Major League roster, you don't have that Chris Bryant, that Jimmy Rollins. I don't think uh, Crawford's there yet at all. And I don't think Franco or Herrera are going to be that. So it is a little disappointing that you don't have that huge offensive star. Just one thing. If, if in August they're not doing well um, and they're not bringing players up, uh, you just have to know that the Eagles will be uh, playing. The preseason will be <laughs> starting. Let's go to break. And, and uh, you know, training camp and all that other stuff. So we have a lot to look forward to. And another great Sixer season will be around the corner. That's right. All right. You're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 a.m. And it's time for our final break. When we come back, we'll talk about the NFL OT rule proposal and my idea for a new soccer league and a little bit about the 76ers. Stay tuned. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Broadcast media is all around you, and it's the people with media skills who work in this amazing industry. How do you gain those skills? The Philadelphia area campus of Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Affordable training in months, not years, without decades of debt. 1-800-TV-RADIO or go. OCSB.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1 888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon residential landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. And we're back. This is the Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. I'm Jeff Rutberg, along with Jason Springer, Ryan Strauss, Jeffrey Cohen, and today, Sean Kennedy. I would be remiss if, uh, in fact, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Dallas Green's passing and what he did for the Phillies, especially in 1980. Uh, Friends of mine and I talked back back then. We didn't think that the Phillies were ever going to win a World Series they, they, we, and we would ask our, that question, do you think the Phillies will ever win in our lifetimes? <laughs> and, uh, and then here, he took over a, a good team, actually, and, and I don't remember who the manager was in the beginning, but he said, I, give me this team, and he took him to the World Series. Who was Do you remember? Uh? Yeah, it was Danny Ozark. Oh, okay. Ozark was actually good, but they never won anything. Uh, with him it seemed in his later years he became a mentor for a lot of players in the organization and and really 
he remained a Philly. And you love seeing that, the people that come to the city and embrace the city and, and really make it their own. And, and so, you know, it's a, we're sad about his passing, and we did just want to make a mention of it before we move on to, to Jeff's soccer league. So, Jeff, why don't you tell us, uh, I'm, I'm ready to learn about a new league that we're going to have. <laughs> As an extension of the Unity Cup, which uh, is already starting in, uh, to, to play in their second year, they're getting everybody together. The Philadelphia had that uh, Unity Cup for the immigrants, mostly the immigrant uh, community. I- community in, in Philadelphia we'll and surrounding Mayor, areas. We'll have to send Mayor Kenny the audio of this. Yes, Go okay, ahead. all right. So soccer, which is popular everywhere but in the United States, um, I think soccer is, is boring because they could play 90 minutes, nobody scores, and how many shots on goal? Like, right. like very few. We're going to hold Ryan Strauss back from responding while you continue to okay. talk about your idea. So, in fact, that not only do they um, play uh, uh, 90 minutes and without scoring, but they even play through the commercials. Okay. And, and so I want to uh, make it more interesting for American uh, uh, pl- players and for young kids, too, to get involved. You know, the, the union started that uh, 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 team, uh, YSC Academy for Young Players, where they would go right from high school right to the profession, professional uh, soccer. Okay. So I think uh, for this could be for boys and girls to play together. Okay. Yes, but we know you. Uh, so for our listeners who aren't familiar, element. for our listeners who aren't familiar, Jeff believes that men and women should be able to play together on the same teams. We have talked about the feasibility of that, the financial ability, the the challenges that are involved, but that's the background for your league. Right, yeah, and, and, uh, and the, uh, the national team, the women's national team has been outdrawing the men's team in, in uh, attendance and in uh, TV ratings. Well, they are better. Yeah, and, and they've, 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 <laughs> yeah, they've done a lot better, <laughs> right, exactly. All right. But, but how's having, that kind of, having, having a league with both men and women going to lead to more scoring? Oh, I'm getting to that. He's going to take some more off the field. Just I'm, wait. I'm just, okay, so uh, no less than two members of each sex on the field at any given time so that you can't uh, suddenly uh, substitute men for uh, women and have all men's team out there. Uh, now, there's 10 fielders and a goalie right now, so it's 11 people on the, on the, uh, on the field for each team. So when they line up for, a, for one of those shots from the corner, you've got all these people hanging out close to the goalie. So you've got to get the ball uh, over them and then uh, past the goalie. You don't so, like this. So I don't like that. It's like too many men on the ice in hockey. Okay. So wait, uh, what I'd like to see happen is uh, we'll, we'll change it to either seven fielders in a goalie or six fielders in a goalie. So now you can get somebody out there that can get a clear shot. Okay. Right? All right. Um, penalties. No more cards. The tripping, you get four minutes in the penalty box. And, and now you can get somebody clear and open for a, a clear shot on goal. So you find cards to be weak. Yes, you absolutely. Would, you would yes. like direct punishment of taking off the field. That's right. And, and if a guy... So like hockey, so, they would get a penalty. It's like the kids. Penalty. Yeah, it's like... They, like, would, get a, they like, would have a penalty box for that, actually. The indoor soccer with the... Yes, like, I, used to li- I used to like them. Yeah, they, okay. didn't, they didn't do... Okay. Uh, if it's a flagrant foul, like a male uh, purposely hurting a female player because she got what in his way. What about a female purposely hurting a male? Okay, either one. Then they get thrown out of the game. Yeah. Yeah, they get, a, they get, a, they get a five-minute major, like in hockey. Okay. And then a game misconduct, right? Then there'll be more penalty shots. I see a league forming with, uh, you know, in Camden, Philadelphia, maybe Atlantic City. There's two stadiums right now that are waiting to be filled in Atlantic City and in, in Camden. So you basically want hockey's rules in a soccer league. Yeah. Do you like hockey's rules better? 
Okay, That's I'm right. going to let and Ryan... Both men and women. And I'm going to let Ryan Strauss react first, our resident soccer fan who has just been talked down about being a soccer fan. How do you feel? <laughs> Not good. I mean, <laughs> look, I've gone record before and said that I think Carly Lloyd is good enough to play in the, the for the Bethlehem Steel okay. and p- probably for MLS. Like, we until you... I think particularly in soccer compared to other sports, it would be easier for a woman to integrate into the male professional league particularly for like a midfield or attacking midfielder position um where it's a lot of passing and movement and dribbling like first i think that could work now in regards to your league um it would be interesting and unique right so like that could draw people and but at the same time folks like me and sean who watch european soccer are going to be a bit put off by it because it is a bit gimmicky and uh, trying to increase scoring. It sounds like some of the things that the MLS used to do in the, in 20 years ago and they're, when they were just forming and that they've now moved away from, but you would probably be appealing more to the traditional American sports fan. Okay. Jeff uh, Dowdy, that's good analysis. You're okay. I'm, that's, uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah. All right. All right so Jeffrey. I didn't complete rivet of heart, right? Like, <laughs> no, you were you were generous. Actually, I thought that the minute that, that he said soccer was boring, you were gonna like. Well, I'm not gonna. Like, <laughs> you know what I think, <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey. Your thoughts on the league? You could make it the XFL of soccer if you want. It's we have <laughs> we have enough bad soccer in the United States. We you do not have the best of the best playing in the MLS now. There's no room for lesser soccer players. As far it, it's great to have soccer on a on a student level and things like that, but from a, a perspective of rate of having money and having stadiums and and all that stuff, you 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 can't support the MLS right now. You're not going to be able to support another soccer league. Well, and that's where I come from on it. You know, separate from the idea, good or bad, I just don't see the financials of another league being sustained. Now, look, I mean with all of the channels that are out there, with all of the social media mediums, who knows what partnerships will come up. I actually saw the Australian Football League partnered with Twitter this week, I believe. And uh, they're, they're now going, the NFL's now going out for bid on the Thursday night games. For, uh, I think YouTube, bid, Twitter, Facebook. So you're starting to see that. Maybe there become more avenues for additional sports leagues. Right now, though, I'm just not sure how the revenue model works on something like that. I, I thought of uh, two uh, people for a commissioner here. Okay. Uh, one was Sam Hinkie, who's available, <laughs> and who knows analytics, and who knows uh, he knows a lot economics. about assets too. And the other person I thought of this uh, starting uh, last year before the election, I uh, got him uh, self-elected president, so he doesn't have Donald time. Trump. He's busy now. <laughs> yeah. So, so Jeff, if you do this league, are, are you going to start with by tanking for the first four years? <laughs> no, no, so, not so at that all. we can get as many picks as we as we Jeff can. Is, Jeff is anti-tank. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, I see this as, as a way for young people, some of whom uh, may not be going to uh, uh, college yet, could uh, get a summer job in, their, in, their, uh, uh, in between their junior, senior year in high school. To play? Uh, to play, yeah. Well, then they the lose summer. their amateur status. You're losing uh, Ryan and Jeffrey real fast here, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they might. We might also work it out where they get scholarships instead of payment. You were, J- Jason, you were talking about there being too many leagues, and I would actually argue that in the era that we live in with so much bombardment of information and mediums, we, there is room for potentially uh, seemingly gimmicky leagues, such as 
um, there's a three-on-three basketball league that just started that has supposedly Allen Iverson's playing in it. What if that was just streamed on Twitter, for it, example? It would get a huge audience. Right. There's plenty of room and avenues for content to be out there. But the question is, is it good, watchable content? You continue to dilute your product the further you go down the line in terms of where your talent is. So do you remember Slam Ball? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you we can't tell me that. Jump if on they, the trampoline. If there was a Slam Ball league yeah. today, they wouldn't wa- no one would watch that. But I was into... Nobody did I, watch it. That's I was why into, it's not around. I yeah. was into gimmicky things. I didn't watch it because I was a fan of sports. I watched it because I was a fan of gimmicks. So I, I think you're looking at different audiences there. Really? Right. Was it that or you just didn't want to get it off the couch? Both. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't. It's okay. So, Jeff, we had an airing of your league. Yes, you accept just, the feedback? That, uh, fact, yes, thank you for your feedback. You should talk to the union about Go this, back to the drawing yeah. board. I'm going to talk. I'm going to actually talk, call the mayor's office, Mayor Kenny in, in Philadelphia, and, and see about uh, extending the, uh, the Unity Cup. cup to yeah. have a little more. Well, you, right. you can talk to the mayor of Camden and see maybe they can get some Jersey teams involved. Right. Anyway, so... I, there was an idea or proposal that came out this week that puzzled me. Uh, the NFL apparently is going to consider changing their overtime to 10 minutes. The reason is because of Thursday night games. Uh, guys, the, the problem is not the overtime. The problem is the Thursday night game. <laughs> the, the reasoning that they're protecting the players by adding, by decreasing by five minutes overtime that only happens a couple times a year. Five whole minutes. is ridiculous. Thursday night football, according to the players, is causing additional injuries. Their bodies, their bodies are in a routine, and the healing process takes that full week. That's what they need. So telling them four days later they have got to play on a Thursday night, it makes no sense other than the dollar. Well, they used to say that about Monday night football when Monday night football came in in, in the 70s. And that became pretty popular. Yeah, but you can't have it all. I mean, well, the NFL wants to play every day yeah, of the week. But well, mo- but Monday night football is a little bit different. You have almost a full week to recover. If you play Sunday, Monday, Sunday, you have an extra day in between on the front side and a lesser day on the back end. If you play a Sunday afternoon game or Sunday evening game, and then you play Thursday night, that's a tough But then the you get a 10-day break. Yeah, but your body didn't heal for the Thursday game. <laughs> but they still so get the hurt. Thursday game but they still st- stinks. But they still get uh, injured on, uh, when they're playing every week. So, look, I don't think the Thursday game's going away because schmucks like me watch it. So well, I understand that. But yeah, but do I you think watch the, some of the jerseys? Oh, uh, the terrible. Uh, please, when they did yeah, the red-green game between the, the Jets and the Bills, I'm colorblind. I couldn't tell what was going on. on the people field. were calling in. <laughs> I was, they look like pajamas. I was very confused. But uh, as much as it's it's not... As much as about the injuries, it's the play is terrible. The games are not. Do you com- see a difference in the game? They I are. Guess. They are much less competitive on Thursday night than they are on Sunday and Monday night most times. I don't. I don't see that. I believe that the Thursday games are a lesser quality of football because the players have not had a time to recover and heal, either mentally or physically. This is not an easy game. They literally beat themselves up all day, have two days to recover, fly to where they're going, and are expected to play a game. Maybe they should make it Friday games instead. Maybe no, they should just, just keep it on play Sunday. the games the way they are. But, it's but, what makes it special. But back to your original point, though, about the, the taking reducing overtime by five minutes, 
that doesn't solve any problem. No. What problem, what problem are you solving it by that? People them, are going to rush to score quicker than they would have? It lets them say that they're trying to do things to increase safety in the league. It's like the kickoff rule that they tried. How is we're it now, any safer? Where now all of a sudden they're supposed to kick it down to the one-yard line, which just means that there's more collisions in a shorter amount of time because they're trying not to get a touchback. They're not solving the root problem of the violence of their game that's causing additional injuries with these suggestions. They're just coming up with ideas and throwing things against the wall to look like they're doing something for a problem that continues to increase. You had Dwight Clark with the San Francisco 49ers this week announced that he has yeah, ALS. That's, that's terrible. You, you, I mean, this continues to happen with players, and this is a problem that the NFL is going to have with parents wanting their kids to play. They may be trying to get ahead of it, but they're not. They're grasping at straws rather than dealing with the serious well, you know problems that are causing this. The other thing that's going to happen is stars aren't going to stick around. If you saw the, uh, the other day, I think it was Brian Stork, uh, one of the players from the Patriots. He's retiring early. A lot of players are now saying, you know what? Bring me into the NFL. I'll get my first couple million dollars, and then I'm getting out. So if they don't do anything to address this, people are either going to get hurt or they're going to be afraid well, to get hurt, and then they're going to start retiring. It's like at what point, to address that root problem issue that you're describing, at what point do people actually start caring to the point where they'll watch less? You know, it's, it's one thing to be aware of it. It's another thing to let it influence your habits. Jeff and I went and did a discussion last Sunday, and I found myself making that point. For years, I have just been a sports fan to watch sports, and now I'm starting to look at the impact on the athletes. And I'm conflicted as a fan because I want to watch these sports and I want to see this high level of quality. But, I mean, when I was younger, I watched for the big hit. Now I know that the big hit rattles the brain and causes lifetime problems. I saw Jim McMahon, who now has to put together puzzles in the dark to keep his mind active because of the beating that he took. How as a fan am I supposed to justify that? And that's the problem that I wrestle with right now. Wait a minute. You're saying that the NFL should stop the uh, Thursday night games, will take all the millions of dollars away from them in profit. I didn't say they will. <laughs> I, said if just... they're, I said if they're trying to act like they seriously want to look out for the health of their players, they would stop searching for the extra dollar there. Well, well, well then, then they can move that dollar to support the new soccer league that I had just uh, talked about. <laughs> way, to bring, way to bring it back to yourself, Jeff. There you go. <laughs> so it could be the halftime show, like they have the mites on ice. That's <laughs> right. There That's what. See, yeah. I, lo I love the mites on I ice. I was going to mention, if we ever do my sports memory again, I'll talk about when I was on that. Did you play mites on ice? I did. Oh, we're going to have to talk about that. We're definitely going to have to talk about that. Before we finish up the show real fast, uh, Adam Silver, NBA Commissioner said uh, he does not want teams resting players uh, when they are in primetime games. Again, along the lines of what we're talking about in the NFL with player safety and how long these seasons are. Thoughts on the commissioner trying to say you shouldn't rest players because they got a huge contract from a TV station that they want the players to play on. So I think that um, it's the Spurs with um, Coach Popovich have been doing this for years, and particularly with how athletic and fast-paced the and the floor stretch in the NBA game today, playing a full 82-game season is strenuous. So I think that if a coach or an owner wants to make the decision that they're sitting a player on a particular game, they should have every right to make that decision. But um, the, in baseball, your all-star player doesn't play 162 games. They can take 12 days off and play 150 games throughout the year. Jeff, you believe I, differently. No, I believe differently. They, they Yes, they can take a break here and there, but not... Um, 
not fr- as frequently as they're doing it now and not before the playoffs. You know, it, it's one thing to do it in December and, and then again in March, but not uh, frequently like they're doing it now. I think it's wrong for the sport. I think Jeff's right, and I think that people save up to see these players come when they come to their town, but in the end, it doesn't matter. They'll find a way not to make sure to make sure that the player doesn't play. They'll make up some little injury to keep him out that day. So Silver did the right thing by telling him to do it, but there's no practical effect of him doing it. I agree with you, and not consequential to the conversation. I do always laugh when they sit the player on Sunday, and it's like that player's bobbleheader recognition day. That one always makes me laugh. Scott Rowland Day. Yeah, that happened. Scott Scott Rowland Day. I remember when that happened. It it makes me laugh. So uh, with that, last comments, guys. We were sort of out of time here. Uh, Sean, anything to say before you're out of here? No, I will say, though, that, that there's two teams out there that worry me about. I, I know you guys are riveted by the women's basketball tournament. <laughs> Maryland on, on Monday night. Maryland on Monday night. You guys can watch it. I'm sure it'll be ESPN or ESPN2. Maryland could beat UConn. It was a six-point game when they played the first time. And, and Baylor could beat UConn. That was a close game the first time. Well. Okay, so Sean's picking UConn for the women's tournament. Guys, any final picks real fast? Ryan, who you got to win? Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Jeff, you're still UCLA. The opposite of whoever Jeff picks. And you're the opposite of whoever Jeff picks. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week on The Heart of Sports. Make sure to join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.